If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 23. It's the whole chapter. <clears throat> We're going to talk about being loyal, strong, and faithful. <clears throat> but before we get there, here are 10 ways you can tell it's going to be a rotten day. Are you ready? You start brushing your teeth with muscle relaxant cream. Yep. You see the 60-minute news team in your office. That's a bad day. You realize the hairspray you just used was really your new can of hair removal spray. <laughs> That's a bad day. <laughs> you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city, the one that you're living in. Yeah. You come to find out you come out to find your car parked right where you left it, but there are no tires on it. All right? Your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. <laughs> That's a rotten day. <laughs> your boss tells you not to bother to take off your coat. Mm -hmm. Your income tax refund check bounces. That maybe isn't so funny right now. <laughs> you get passed um, on your morning jog by a little old lady with a cane. You look down to see you have on one black shoe and one brown shoe, and you remember seeing another pair just like them in your closet before you left home. <laughs> Whoops. So this can be rotten days, right? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about Joseph and kind of a rotten day that he had. Um, but in the midst of that, we're going to see that he was loyal and he was strong and that he was faithful. In the midst of all that difficulty that he was going through... <clears throat> The rotten day that he was experiencing <clears throat> was going to be, he was still going to remain loyal and strong and faithful. As I think about those three words, you know, I was thinking about my own life and I was thinking about loyalty. I worked for Child Evangelism Fellowship for 10 years and I was super loyal to that ministry and, and uh, I probably would have worked there longer, but I got laid off and, <clears throat> and so I just was grateful for what God taught me through uh, ministering together with those from Child Evangelism Fellowship. I learned so much that it helped me to be the man of God that I am today. <clears throat> so I was grateful for that. The Lord's been developing <clears throat> loyalty or strength, I should say, that character quality in my life. I wasn't always strong, especially when it came to certain things. I had to have accountability in order to overcome a weakness. When I think of the word faithfulness, through all the difficulties in my life, I've remained faithful to the Lord. I, I know He is the one who will carry me through every difficulty. I've seen it time and time again. So like when another difficulty comes up, I don't question God anymore. Like, why are you letting this happen? I'm like, God, I know you're going to get me through it. Because He's been faithful to me, I could be faithful to Him as well. <clears throat> I know that His Word promises me and Hebrews chapter 13, that he'll never leave me or forsake me so I can say with confidence that he's my helper. So I've learned all of those things. And so for us as a, a body of believers, how many of us have been loyal? Maybe it's been to a brand. Maybe it's been to an employer, a, a person, a team, a school, you name it. Uh, we're, we're loyal to a lot of different things, aren't we? All of us are strong in certain areas and weak in others and so the question for you to think about is, how has God developed strength in us? 
And when we experience hardship and difficulties, have we remained faithful to the Lord? Or have we allowed those to <clears throat> cause our faith to waver? Joseph experienced the Lord being with him and enabling him to prosper and be successful in everything that he did. And because he knew God and his character, Joseph was able to remain loyal to his master, strong in the face of temptation and faithful to him, meaning God, when things appeared bleak. Jo jo Joseph <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> is a great example and model of how our character should reflect loyalty, strength, and faithfulness. That's our big idea today. So our character should reflect loyalty, strength, and faithfulness. So as you allow those three uh, characters to kind of just ruminate in your mind a little bit this morning, let's just turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. We thank you that you are always with us. We thank you, Lord God, that you help us to be loyal. You give us strength when we're weak, and Lord, you enable us to be faithful when difficulties come. And so we just cry out to you today. You would guide and direct us by your Spirit as we look into this passage of Scripture today. Would you help us to learn just what you want us to learn? Lord, we want to hear your voice today. So Lord, we, we say come. We open our hearts and minds to you now to do the work that you need to do in each and every one of us. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So those three character traits are our three points today. So let's look at loyalty first. Verses uh, 1 through the first half of verse 6. This is what God's Word says. <clears throat> now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph. There's the first time you'll see that. And he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, there's the second time, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Pretty amazing stuff, right? Now the narrator does something just... Uh, reminds us of what happened to Joseph. He was sold to the Ishmaelites by his brothers who took him down to Egypt then and sold him to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials who was captain of the guard. And it's close to what the narrator said in Genesis chapter 37, verse 36. And of course, there was this little vignette in between with uh, uh, Judah and Tamar that was sandwiched in between the story of Joseph. <clears throat> Now the narrator is ready to continue the story of Joseph. And so we see uh, that the Lord is with Joseph. Now, we saw in the first six verses, in verse 1 and verse 3, or um, verse 2 and verse 3, I'm sorry, the statement that the Lord is with Joseph. It's going to come up again two more times in verse 21 and 23. And I'm certain that Joseph already knew that the Lord was with him because he had rescued him from the bloodthirsty hands of his brothers. <clears throat> so he's like, I know that the Lord's with me because I should have died. And so the same is true of us as followers of Jesus Christ. That's our first principle today, is that the Lord is always with us. 
Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture just to help us understand that. He's with us. Isaiah, in chapter 41, verse 10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's going to be with us. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, we read these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Aren't you grateful for that? He goes on in the book of Matthew then. Uh, at the gospel writers in chapter 28, verse 20 says, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's like, I'm going to be with you even to the end of the age. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5b and 6 says this, Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So the Lord is always with you. <clears throat> when you are feeling alone, anxious, and depressed, the Lord's with you. When you're feeling angry and frustrated about a relationship, the Lord's with you. When you're struggling with finances and wondering where the money's going to come from, the Lord is with you. When you're scared about the future, the Lord's with you. When you don't know or understand what's happening to you physically, the Lord is with you. You see, in every circumstance that you face as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can have confidence that the Lord is with you. He says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So maybe you're ready to make that first step today, and that's to claim the truth from God's word that the Lord is always with me. Maybe you just need to hold on to that today and say, man, I'm going through some difficult things, and it doesn't seem like he's here. It doesn't seem like he's listening to my cries. And he is. He's with you. We just have to remember that sometimes God answers in three different ways. He answers yes, no, and wait. You might be in the middle of a no or a wait, and you're like, I don't want to, right? I want the answer now. I want to know now, God. And so we have to trust, even when he says no and wait, that he is still with us. So some pretty amazing things happened for Joseph as a result of the Lord being with him. He prospered. The Lord gave him his success in everything he did, and he got promoted. Now, I want to caution us here this morning that uh, what happened with Joseph is not universal for all people at all times. I don't want you to walk away going, if I just follow the Lord and he's with me all the time, I'm going to be prosperous, successful, and get promoted. That's not what we're saying this morning. God was accomplishing his perfect plan and purpose through Joseph. He was going to use Joseph and Pharaoh's household in order to save the Egyptians, other nations, and even his own family, Joseph's own family. The Lord is always with us, but that does not mean that we will always prosper, be successful, or get promoted. He is with us even when we are struggling and having difficulties. And it's amazing that Potiphar recognized that the Lord was with Joseph. When Potiphar recognized that the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything that he did, he promoted him to his personal attendant. He was now second in command under Potiphar in his household. And Potiphar's smart move of placing Joseph in charge of everything paid off because the Lord blessed his household. The Lord's blessing wasn't reserved for just part of Potiphar's holdings. It was for all of his holdings, both in the house and in the field. And in fact, that statement in the house and in the field is a mirrorism to explain everything. It's two contrasting 
uh, parts of the whole that refer to the whole. So he's saying, in the house and in the field, everything in between, God blessed it. And it was because of Joseph that Potiphar's household was blessed. So that leads us to our second principle today, that God keeps his promises. Think with me back into Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. This is what it says. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. We see that happening. And then further into Genesis chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, tell us this, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That's God talking to Abraham after he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And he's talking to him again. And he's saying, your descendants, through your descendants... Through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed. Joseph is one of their, his descendants. And Potiphar is being blessed as a result of Joseph being in his household. Then look at Genesis chapter 30, verses 27 and 30. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed uh, you wherever I have been. So that's Jacob with Laban. And again, Jacob being one of Abraham's descendants, we see Laban being blessed as a result of that. So as part of the line of Abraham, Joseph's presence in Potiphar's household enabled his household to be blessed. And God still keeps his promises today, so we can trust him no matter what. So maybe that second step is for you today, and that's to just thank God for keeping his promises. Potiphar left everything in Joseph's care and didn't worry about anything except what he was going to eat. And Joseph showed incredible loyalty to Potiphar as he handled all of his affairs. And in our work environment and volunteer positions, we should also reflect the character quality of loyalty. Joseph's loyalty would also be coupled with his strength in resisting temptation. Look at the second half of verse 6 and into verse 19. This is what God's word says. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than, than this house in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. Now then, could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, came, she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought, into, uh, brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left this, his cloak uh, beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until um, his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us... Uh, brought us, came to me to make sport of me. 
But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. And so what we see here is strength. This is our second point today. Joseph was a good-looking guy, right? He was a good-looking guy. Some scholars believe that he got this attribute from his mother. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 29, verse 17, this is what it says, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. That's why her husband was attracted to her, right? And Potiphar's uh, wife, then we see the proposition that she has for Joseph. She noticed that Joseph was muscular and handsome, and I used to be the same way. Most of us were when we were in our 20s. But anyhow, let's just keep moving. Uh, she asked him to come to bed with her. She wanted to be intimate with him. Then we see Joseph's refusal here. Joseph gives her three great reasons why he can't do what she asks. First, it's the, his proper view of responsibility. He didn't want to break trust with Potiphar. Potiphar had entrusted everything to Joseph except his wife. So he's like, I don't want to break trust with him. I want to be loyal to him. He also had a proper view of marriage. He didn't want to violate the marital rights. Potiphar was her husband, and therefore he had the marital rights to intimacy, not Joseph. And finally, he had the proper view of sin. He didn't want to fall short of God's expectation he knew that adultery is sin. So those are three great reasons. And so Joseph's refusal did not stop her, though. We see Potiphar's wife's persistence next. She asked him the same question every day. Her persistence does not uh, pay off like she had hoped because Joseph doesn't even want to be with her or be around her. It's like he doesn't even want to be in the house with her uh, if she's around because he knows that she's going to ask the same question. So, she probably sets the stage for her next attempt. It's likely that she released the other household servants or told them to leave the house. And with the house empty, surely she would be able to seduce Joseph into being intimate with her. And she doesn't just ask Joseph to come to bed with her, but grabs him by his cloak. So, perhaps she's directing him towards her bed or a couch. Proverbs warns young men about a wayward wife and her temptations. If you look at Proverbs chapter 20, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 6, I'll get it right, starting in verse 20, we see these words. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way of life, keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her, uh, cap her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So it is... Uh, so is he who sleeps with another man's wife, and no one who touches her will be unpunished. Men do not despise the, yeah, men do not despise the thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold. 
though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. And then we also see this in Proverbs chapter 7, beginning at verse 10. We see these words. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. Uh, He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. And so we see what's taking place here. Joseph is experiencing the same kind of temptation that, the, you know, that Solomon is talking about in Proverbs. <clears throat> and so Joseph knew exactly what to do because he had probably determined in advance what action he would take if something like this happened. He just left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Our third principle comes from Gangle and Bramer's commentary this morning, and I quote, Our ability to overcome temptation depends more on character than on circumstances. Matthew says this, Temptation is not a part-time experience of the believer. Calvin commented, Holy Joseph, therefore, must have been endowed with the extraordinary power of the Spirit, seeing that he stood invincible to the last against all the allurements, of the impious woman. <clears throat> so he must have had incredible power from the Spirit, right? To resist that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 says, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul, writing to the Galatian believers in chapter 5, verse 24, says this, Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So Joseph knew Uh, not to put himself in a position to be tempted. He didn't even want to be around her, and he knew that if if the advances progressed, he would flee. This showed Joseph's character of strength in, in resisting temptation, and our character should reflect strength in resisting temptation today. There are all kinds of temptations bombarding us today, Uh, from adultery and affairs, whether physical and emotional, to pornography, to premarital sex, to same-sex attraction, and on and on the list can go. From various addictions, from smoking to vaping, to drugs to alcohol, uh, to other things such as overspending, oversharing, and overeating. And again, these lists just could go on and on and on. But success and resisting the temptation comes when we have a plan in place before the temptation comes. There's the key. Like, we need to know what we're going to do in that situation before we ever have to run into that situation. So what will I do when sexual temptation comes? Are we going to flee? Are we going to put protective software on all of our devices, not allow ourselves to be um, alone with a boyfriend or a girlfriend? What are we going to do when it comes to that? What's my plan when confronted with smoking, vaping, drugs, and alcohol? Am I going to flee? Am I going to say no? 
Am I not going to attend certain parties or go to certain locations because I know that's where it's going to be? How will I avoid overspending, oversharing, and overeating? Maybe I don't go shopping or work, with a, work within a budget. Maybe I need to learn to hold my tongue, walk away from the table, only prepare a regular portion, or don't buy certain foods. Like We have to have a plan in place or we're not going to succeed. And when we plan ahead for any temptation, then we will be guided by our character instead of the circumstances. So Wearsby says this self-control is an important factor in building character and preparing us for leadership. So maybe you're ready to take this third next step today, and that's to determine what my plan will be to overcome any temptations I'm currently facing. And I want to share with you today that accountability is so very, very important. You have to have somebody else there with you. So often we try to do this on our own strength, and it just doesn't work. It lasts for a short period of time, but we never see a continual ongoing success. We see the success for a little bit, and then we, we fall back to doing the things we did before. We need some other people. That's what the body of believers is here for. There are people here today that would love to be in, a, in an accountability relationship with you to help you walk alongside of you in those difficulties, the things that you're struggling with. Boy, it just develops relationship, develops love and unity. So I want to encourage you to consider that today. What we see next is Potiphar's wife's prevarication. I gave you that word a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? Prevaricate. It means to lie, to stretch the truth, to deceive. So I was reading commentaries this week, and that word came up in multiple commentaries. Prevarication. This is Potiphar's wife's prevarication. Like, oh, I know what that word means. This is great. I don't have to look it up. <laughs> so when Potiphar's wife did not get her own way, she twisted the truth. Her intent was to get Joseph in trouble. She also wanted to take the attention away from her sin. She didn't want Joseph's cloak, or she didn't keep Joseph's cloak in her hand, but put it beside her. If she had kept it in her hand, it would have incriminated her and shown the truth of what had really happened. She had taken hold of his cloak, and he left it. She does not use Joseph's name, but rather is, intent, uh, is his nationality uh, when referring to him. Perhaps this was a tactic to create a us-versus-them scenario. She was trying to garner sympathy and support against Joseph from the other household slaves and from her husband. And how she words her report to the household servants also attempts to create division and separation between them and Joseph. This is what she says, Look, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. Like, come join my side. <laughs> We're going to be against Joseph. She reversed what actually happened then. Joseph did not come in to sleep with her, but to do his work. And perhaps she screamed after Joseph left to help make her case. But Joseph didn't leave his cloak because she screamed. So she screams after the fact, perhaps, to kind of, you know, make things look good. And then she blames her husband. Isn't this wonderful? She, she kept Joseph's cloak beside her until her husband came home. And then she told her quote-unquote story, and basically blamed her husband for what had happened. He brought this Hebrew slave into their home. This is your fault, right? Like, wait a minute. Do you remember another time when someone was blaming someone else? Adam and Eve. This woman that you gave me, gave me this fruit and I ate it. Mm, okay. She is desperately trying to shift the attention and blame away from herself. 
And here Joseph is in the middle of another cloak incident, right? If you recall, Jacob gave Joseph an ornamented robe that elevated him above his brothers, and it showed that he had authority. Uh, His cloak made him an easy target for his brothers when he visited them in Dothan. They saw him in a distance coming. Now Joseph has another cloak that probably identified him as second in command under Potiphar, and Potiphar would have recognized the cloak as being Joseph's. And then we see Potiphar's reaction. He burned with anger. Now, at first glance, right, it seems as though Potiphar is very angry with Joseph for his alleged attempted rape of his wife. But perhaps that's not the case. Let me give you a little background. The normal punishment for Joseph's offense would have been immediate execution. Potiphar, as captain of the guard, was over the soldiers who carried out executions. So, it would make sense that Joseph should have been killed immediately. But I like what Walton says in his commentary. Potiphar responds by, quote-unquote, burning with anger. Given his wife's slander of his own motives, remember she blamed him, the proven trustworthiness of Joseph, Joseph was loyal, the fact that he is going to lose the services of a competent slave and his knowledge of his wife's character or lack of it, his anger arguably, arguably burns at his wife, not at Joseph. This is further suggested by the fact that Joseph is only put into the king's prison. The action he takes against Joseph is as minimal as it can be and still retain his family's honor. Interesting, isn't it? So he puts Joseph in prison. The prison where Joseph was put is where the king's prisoners were confined. This wasn't the same prison that the commoners were confined to. In fact, Genesis chapter 40 verse 3 makes it sound as though the prison Joseph is confined to is attached to Potiphar's house. So listen to these words in Genesis chapter 40 verses 2 and 3. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, that's Potiphar's title, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. He's right there. He's right next. I mean, he's attached to the house. Joseph is still in Potiphar's house. God continued to be with Joseph even when he was falsely accused. The fourth principle this morning again comes from Gangle and Bramer's commentary. God's blessings do not insulate our lives from hardships or injustice. This goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Just because God is with us doesn't always mean that we're going to be prosperous, successful, and get promoted. Joseph certainly experienced that in his own life, and the same is true for us. Jesus never promised his followers that when they believed in him that everything would be cotton candy, sunshine, and rainbows, or prosperity, success, and promotions. He did warn his disciples about a few things. Let me read John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25. This is what God's Word says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not uh, be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me 
hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have uh, seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in in their law. They hated me without reason. And so we see that... that uh, we're going to be treated the same way that Jesus was, right? We're going to be hated. We're going to be persecuted. Those that listen to Jesus will listen to us as well. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 tell us this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Matthew chapter 24, verse 9 tells us this, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. It's again Jesus talking to his disciples. You know, sometimes we experience hardship because of our own poor decisions. That happens too. We can rest assured that the Lord is still with us during those times of hardship and injustice. So Joseph experienced God's presence and mercy while in prison. Our final point this morning is faithfulness. Look at verses 20 uh, to 23. And this is what God's word says. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Again, this is the sovereignty of God at work, giving Joseph success because he has a plan and a purpose for him. This phrase, uh, the Lord was with Joseph, begins and ends these three verses. Because the Lord was with him, the warden put him in charge of all the prisoners and everything that was done there. The warden didn't have to pay attention to anything under Joseph's care. And Joseph's character reflected faithfulness. Even though he was now in prison for no fault of his own, Joseph faithfully worked hard and advanced in the prison. We shouldn't be surprised by this because this was part of his character when he served as Potiphar's personal attendant. And so... You know, our character should reflect faithfulness no matter where we are working. Even when we don't get the promotion at work that we thought we should have gotten, we need to remain faithful. Even when we are asked to serve in the church in a position that seems below our gifts and abilities, we need to remain faithful. I remember reading in one of Chuck Smith's books that when he was approached by an enthusiastic person about serving in the church, he would ask them to clean toilets. And depending on how they responded, determined whether he would have them serve in the church in other capacities. If they were willing to serve in a lowly position, he knew their heart was in the right place. You know, a lot of times they would come like, oh, I want to be part of the worship team, or, you know, something that was high profile, that it was up front. And he's like, okay, well, that's great. How about you go clean toilets? Well, I don't know if that's really in my, in my giftedness. Okay. Luke chapter... 16 verse 10 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so the Lord was merciful to Joseph. The Lord showed Joseph kindness. He granted Joseph favor in the eyes of the prison warden, and the Lord is merciful and kind to us also. He does not give us what we deserve. And so as we just review a little bit today, do you need to claim the truth that God is always with you as his child? 
Do you need to thank God for keeping his promises? Do you need to determine what your plan will be to overcome temptation? Does your character reflect loyalty, strength, and faithfulness? The, you know, the Lord is with us as a body of believers. We know that. We can thank God for keeping his promises to us. He always provides. <clears throat> I wanted to read you the story about Joel Sonnenberg. When life uh, seems to be getting ter- terribly wrong, seems to be going terribly wrong, as it did for Joseph on a few occasions, it's difficult to uh, affirm God's sovereignty. Joel Sonnenberg is a modern-day illustration of someone who had cause to question God's sovereignty and love. He was not yet two years old when a tragic chain reaction car accident changed his life. A truck crashed into the back of a line of cars that was stopped at a toll plaza, and the car Joel was riding in was engulfed in flames. Agonizing minutes went by before he could be rescued. Though he survived, he was faced with excruciating pain, and even then the 50-plus surgeries have still left him severely disfigured. Bitterness would have been easy, but instead of rejecting God as powerless or cruel, Joel has followed God's love to Uh, has allowed God's love to fill him, and he has had opportunity to testify to what God can do in someone's life. He's been featured in national news programs such as 48 Hours and and Public Eye with Bryant Gumbel. Special reports by Chicago anchor Carol Marin have also followed Joel's, Joel's story over the years. He graduated from Taylor University in the spring of 2000. The university's website listed some of Joel's achievements and honors. Eagle Scout, Discover Tribute Award winner, Western North Carolina Citizen of the Year, and High School Student Body President, to name just a few. Like Joseph, Joel could, have, uh, known, could not have known what God would eventually accomplish through the crises and tragedies of his life. We are not in a position to argue with God about why he sovereignly allows the difficult things that come into our lives. As the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 45, 9 and 10, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a potsherd among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say, he has, not, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, why have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you brought to birth? Unlike Joseph, Joel's troubles were not caused by someone, someone else's evil intentions. The fact is, however, that even when evil intentions are involved, whatever people intend for evil, God can use to bring about good. God does not promise to shield us from all evil, but we can believe that whenever evil comes, God is able to accomplish good through it. Isn't that a powerful? He's a pastor. He's one of the associate pastor um, at Calvary Chapel in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. God's used him in incredible ways. Man, from the age of two, imagine that. Age of two, he's been disfigured. And because of something that didn't, you know, it wasn't his fault. Joseph was put in prison, not because of his own fault. God was allowing those things to happen for his glory so he could accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. And so I want to encourage you today to be loyal, strong, and faithful in your walk with the Lord. And so as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, as the worship team comes, would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we just come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the model that we see in the character of Joseph, that, Lord, he was loyal even though he was a slave. 
that Lord God, he was strong when temptation came is because you were with him. And Lord, he was faithful to you even though he was demoted and put into prison. Lord, I pray that we would be all of those same, same things. That, Lord, we would be loyal, that we would be strong, and we would be faithful. So, Lord, we need your help through the power of your Holy Spirit to accomplish that. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?